all the souls I have encountered in my travels. His was the most human. to the Wrath of Khan Minute, the semi-daily podcast where we analyze, discuss, and gush over Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, one minute at a time. I'm Chris LaSalle. And I'm David Stoker. Hey, Dave. Hey, Chris. Welcome back. Another minute. Wednesday. Yes. Wednesday. Um, and we just wanted to welcome back uh, Brett Stillett. Oh, Brett's here joining us from the 5 Minutes of Trouble podcast. Hey, Brett. Yeah. Ooh, and I almost didn't make it today. I, got, I thought we were doing Tuesday, it was Wednesday, so yeah, just got here, and boy are my arms tired. Uh, we're, we're, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're messing with the format here, so we appreciate you uh, working with us. That's quite all right, that's quite all right. Again, I'm just excited to, uh, you know, get to the finale, and, uh, you know, one of my favorite moments in this movie, uh, as we, we go down to the Genesis planet. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get to it. Yeah, this is uh, we're starting. We're going to be doing minute 107 today, and uh, minute 107 starts with us, uh, everyone looking down on the Genesis planet, uh, and then ends a minute later with the sun shining through alien ferns. Alien ferns. Space ferns. Space fern. On the next Star Trek. <laughs> So yeah, so this is the the um, I guess the infamous I, I think the infamous um, add-on yeah. scene. Yeah. Um, where uh, uh, we talked about it a little bit on on Monday with the um, folks were so bummed out by the original ending where there was uh, really uh, Spock was dead and that was it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so they added on the scene. This was. Um, uh, I think, like I said, infamous and controversial. Nick Myers uh, wanted nothing. The director wanted nothing to do with this, uh, with this scene. But uh, um, I guess we can talk about what we think. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it starts with us, you know, zooming in. I guess going through the clouds, um, and then we get to see some, what presumably are alien plants, right? Do you guys think these uh, look pretty alien? Yeah, I'll throw it through a blue filter. And uh, with a with a fog machine going full blast, it looks kind of alien. It to me, watching it over and over, it looked like they were doing uh, scouting shots for Jurassic Park ten years later. Uh, but um, yeah, I was gonna say this this scene to me looks very Star Trek esque because when you finally you know about thirty seconds in, you get to the you know the place where the torpedo had landed. It looks like it's a it's a set with the fog and the it it looks like perfect way to end the movie with uh, you know old original series Star Trek you know looking for the the, the styrofoam rocks and <laughs> <laughs> but here's here's the funny thing Dave it's not a set yeah I live about two miles from where Spock is buried that's uh, actually Golden Gate Park. It's uh, a place called uh, Ferndale Grove. No, no, Tree Ferndale. It's near the Conservatory of Flowers, and it was, it was, it had a more notorious name in the '60s. It was called Mescaline Grove. Oh no! <laughs> Jeez. 
What do you think happened in Mescaline Grove in the 60s when we were all taking too much LDS? But that's another movie. <laughs> but, so you've been there. Is there any kind of like Star Trek memorabilia there? No. Um, although uh, in the 80s, I definitely ran into Trekkies who thought they would find the torpedo there. And uh, I would say, no, I mean, there should be a torpedo there. And uh, maybe what I'll end up doing is, is, uh, you know, finding a large black pill and uh, and putting it in there and doing it, doing a shot and putting it on the Facebook page. But uh, when you're at uh, Tree Ferndale, you definitely it looks like uh, a good place for a Vulcan uh, to be buried or to be in his torpedo coffin. So. uh, funny story that when I was in college, uh, me and my buddies, of course, we're all super Trekkies, but we're also, you know, snarky college dudes. So whenever we would drive by that part of Golden Gate Park, we had our own impromptu salute. We would roll down the windows and say, hi, Spock. (laughs) Sort of in the same tone as uh, Bill Daly from the Bob Newhart show. Hi, Bob. Hi, Spock. (laughs) He, He never said anything back, but, um, yeah, so that was, it's, I've not been able to find a, an answer for this. So I have a, a theory that, yeah, this is a reshoot. And for whatever reason, it, it got handed to the ILM guys, who then didn't do anything particularly ILM. They just took a torpedo prop and stuck it in Golden Gate Park. So since this was a, an added on scene, maybe it was just a time factor and, you know, this could have been a, sh- a scene they could have done down in L.A. And Dave, like you said, it could have been on a set or even yeah. somewhere. Uh, um, you know, ironically, it's I can't remember the name of the park, but there's a park in L.A. where they used to film Fantasy Island, the lagoon scene. So there's there's another interesting tie in. But they, they could have done it down there. Um, but, yeah, for some reason, ILM gets the nod. So maybe there was a, a more ambitious plan of showing the torpedo orbiting the planets or something like that and they just simply didn't have time so let's let's load the torpedo on a pickup head for golden gate park shoot this sucker uh add add a few blue filters because one one cool thing about how they shoot this is it it looks like you're in an aquarium everything is very blue on the genesis planet it's very murky yeah Yeah, i i had a i agreed and you know we just scrubbing back and forth, you know, like, yeah, Jesus, they, they, they do a decent job with a, this, this looks like alien plant life. And, but with all the fog and the blue filter, um, it reminded me of the beginning of ET. Yeah. All, all the little aliens are, you know, collecting plants oh, yeah. and stuff. And you, you get like a shot, I think inside the alien ship, I think at some point. And I keep expecting like one of these plants to start glowing. <laughs> um, but that's, I, I always think of ET during this shot as they're panning through the forest and heading towards a torpedo. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. So you wonder, you know, I can't remember. I am assuming ILM did the effects for E.T. And those guys were so busy, maybe there was a, you know, hey, let's just do that bit again. (laughs) Right. It was the same year, right? They both came out in 82. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. The glorious summer of 82. So many good summer movies that year. Actually, um, I'm looking it up right now, and it does uh, say that ILM did work on E.T. But, you know, so here's the, here's the thing, guys. So 
ILM. I think all of us movie nerds and sci-fi nerds, we love ILM. But how often, how often do you talk about not ILM? Who, you know, who, oh, there, yeah. there's like no second, there's no second, I'm sure there are, right? But I don't know any other effects companies really other than ILM. Are there? There at back in the day, um, in the like I said, the glorious days of eighty you know, special effects movies. I I wish I could remember some of the names, but there were some uh, there were some rivals to ILM. They never got close to ILM. Uh, you know, in fact, uh, and this is Josh is gonna slap my wrist, but <laughs> the effects in Big Trouble in Little China, which did have uh, Richard Edlin, an ILM veteran, doing the special effects direction and overseeing, but it wasn't ILM. It was another company down in L.A. that I can't remember, and they're you know they're long gone. But I think as a result, you, you just kind of figure there were probably some guys who left ILM and struck out struck it out on their own. And sure, you know this was such an exciting time uh, because these guys were. You know, ILM in particular, you know, they were just never satisfied. They were always trying to outdo themselves. And this is what yeah, makes... They're always in, in, inventing new ways of doing things. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a scene coming up in the next minute that we'll talk about where I think it's a unique special effects shot. And I think it was just them saying, hey, let's try this. Let's let's do this. And um, But, yeah, I mean, that was part of the fun of seeing these movies in the 80s was what effect are they going to do next? How are they going to do this? Um, right. You know, a giant marshmallow man walking down uh, New right, York yeah. City and just it on and on and on. And this is, uh, we got to mention it one more time. Uh, this is way pre-CGI. Um, in fact, I'm sure you guys talked about it uh, a while back. But, you know, this, you know, Rathacon basically is the first CGI movie with the, the initial original Genesis right. effect. But... Um, which was pretty amazing in 82, but otherwise 99% just green screen and process shots and animation yep. and all this good stuff. But, uh, but again, here, none of that. It's uh, nope. Ferndale Grove. <laughs> Ferndale Grove, I love it. it has or, a uh, yeah. Um, so kind of rewinding a bit to the, kind of the beginning of this minute, minute and you know, the, the music has, as we start to, you know, we pan down the planet and the, the music has started to swell. And, um, are, do you, and I, uh, I, I still remember the first time seeing Wrath of Khan, but I was, you know, 11. So I don't, I don't have, you know, perfect memories of it. And so I'm, I don't remember if it, in this moment, in this, in this minute, does the audience know where this is going with this lead up? You know, as we're panning through the forest, <laughs> do you think people expected to see what they see? I sure didn't. Well, I, I didn't, and that leads to one of my questions: is that I assume, and maybe through uh, the the knowledge of seeing them fired again and again, I assume the torpedo actually disintegrated. Oh yeah, because that's throughout this whole minute. That's my biggest question: How does the torpedo land, and how did how does it not burst into a, a, a photon torpedo? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, So I've thought about this one, so I'm glad you asked it. Thanks for setting me up. Uh, So uh, I think think the torpedo probably was in pretty rough shape, you know, when you're being fired out of the Enterprise. 
coming through the atmosphere of this planet, crashing. Well, it doesn't look like it crashed, did it? It looks like somebody gently set it down in the forest. Looks but brand new. Looks brand new. But did the Genesis effect have, did it change the torpedo itself? Mm. Mm. Spock willed it. Uh, the essence not, of Spock. Living, it's not a living object. No, so you don't. It doesn't. It doesn't work on in, inanimate objects. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with not an inanimate object. Oh, damn it! I was all proud of myself with this theory. It it is kind of funny to theorize that we get Star Trek three because of a bum torpedo that malfunctioned that should have burned up. Exactly. <laughs> and this right. one and just too. What, like, what if it had burned up? We'd have no movie. Well, that's my. That's my. Sort of my 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 multi-tiered question here is: So did Kirk fire? Like, did they have knowledge that they could land this on the planet, or did they just fire the torpedo? Like, you know, the sailors of old would dump their, you know, the coffins off the side, and you know, they'd go to Davy Jones' locker. You know, like, what was the? To me, like I said, to answer your question, Chris, my thought in seeing this, and I think every time I see it, is that that torpedo is going to burn up. Yeah. There's going to be nothing left. Yeah. And so. Having seen that, you know, I can imagine younger me thinking, I totally was surprised, thinking like, oh, the, the, still, he could still be there. You know, like, I could go, that, that's how I feel like the audience yeah. probably reacted. You know, and I'm, I'm realizing in that's... the confusion of all these, you know, reshoots and changing the ending around, that, yeah, I think they, they trap themselves. You have... Yeah, Spock being shot out into space, and it's very much, yeah, like the burial at sea. And then if you think back to the effect, um, you know, you see it with a comet tail, and it kind of disappears uh, behind the Genesis planet. And don't, don't we see, like, a little flash, like, you know? Like, man, I'm thinking an ILM, an ambitious ILM guy said, oh, yeah, and then it's, it burns up in the atmosphere, and what a beautiful way for Spock to die. And then you get the memo from the studio. We have to have it land. <laughs> like we got to turn that flash into the sun. Yeah, and uh, that's where the sun comes from. So that's why we've been talking about that sun for I don't know how many episodes, right? <laughs> where did it come from? Did this, maybe it was it was just an afterthought. They, originally, they they put in the it would, the the torpedo burned up, and that was a flash, and they're like, oh no no, we got to make that the sun. So they had to go back and insert the sun into all the, and that's what used. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you though, you know, like. As you mentioned earlier, that that <laughs> torpedo made a perfect landing. It did, yeah. It's just it's like no, nothing. Jet, there's no nothing's disturbed. It's like you know you almost expect to see like little space squirrels like hopping around it. It's you know nothing's on fire. Yeah, yeah. Just it looks like it's yeah. It just looks like it sort of slowly levitated down, and you don't even see a parachute. So just perfect landing. Um, well, that would have been a nice touch. Yeah, parachute. Sure. Yeah, some parachutes, sure. But yeah, no, there's. I mean, it's a close-up, and, you know, the ILM guys probably had a very limited amount of time to do this. But, yeah, you don't see any kind of a, a path or a trail or scorch marks. It just, you know, it's, it's nope. the world's nicest photon torpedo. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think this was all done as a setup. Like, obviously, they fire the torpedo. You believe that Spock is now gone. You're zooming in on the planet. And, yeah, you... The reveal is the torpedo, because if they really wanted to, you know, save the torpedo and bury, quote, bury Spock on the planet, they would have beamed the torpedo thing down. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, 
like we've talked about it we've we've talked about it before chris about the different fake outs and stuff like that this to me is just another fake out in this movie right yeah so so do you think uh, i think one of you guys might have already asked it like did they did they was this kirk's plan all along was to gently land this thing on the planet with hopes that you know we'll just come back and check later and see what we see. Uh, <laughs> it was, well, it was Harv Bennett's plan. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, for I, sure. I, I think knowing what we know, I think, um, I think no, I don't think Kirk had any intention of that. I think he, they just shoot it on the planet and see you later. Yeah. Right. But you wonder if, like, if you know, it'd be fun to see. They could have played with this a little bit in search for Spock, <laughs> like, you know, doing a little, you know, flashback where, you know, David is in the hallway and saying like, you know what, dad, you know, you know what you might want to do? You might want to just drop the torpedo on the planet. You know, trust me. <laughs> trust me. Wink. Awkward hug. Actually. You know, he, he knows. We, what we learn in search for Spock about the Genesis planet and the Genesis but, effect. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so let me ask, we're obviously getting into the next movie, but let me ask you that question is, since you brought it up, yeah. do we know? We're, we're all again, they created the, you know, in a lab and then they created it in the cave and you see the plants and the stuff and we'll have food enough for a lifetime. Do we know that there is a secondary side effect to the planet? Not here. Not here. Not now. Yeah. It's, it's all. So, so now we don't, we don't know that. Like, so I feel like that conversation would be premature. Yeah. So I should shut up. Is that what you're telling me? Shut up, save it for the next movie. No, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just, I, I think in this movie that would be premature for him to say wink wink nudge nudge you know just landed on the planet. I feel like that yeah. would have been that would have that wouldn't have helped their fake out in you know. Oh in, right right yeah yeah no it's fun to think about oh right? yeah I think it's, you know because there's because you wonder like geez it's this is uh, like Brett said this is pretty happy coincidence that this thing did not yeah. burn up or you know uh, Kirk and McCoy are gonna be pretty sad yeah. next to uh, yes. I'll tell you what, this it, this is where, like, you know, we'll go long and throw a Hail Mary pass and say, if we want to play the master plan, then I'd say it was Spock. Hmm, if, if I go down to the engine room, I'll probably die. And then Kirk will want to have a ceremony for me, so he'll probably put me in a torpedo. So it'll probably be number 26. That one doesn't burn up. I know t- torpedo 26 is a malfunction torpedo, so all right, so I'll... I'll do the mind meld with McCoy. There, that's good. And then a colonar, whatever the process was, and Dad'll know what to do, and he'll contact Kirk. So yeah, okay, got it. So that, and he did that all in ten seconds as he was running down to the engine room. That would be awesome. That would be Spock. Right. Maybe that's what we. There's a scene in the engine room where he's fiddling around with the, you know, the control panel. Maybe he was disabling, you know, the photons. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They're not going to explode. Yeah. The Uh, gag is, you know, he he puts his hand on McCoy in that close-up, and he says, remember. And then he races over to a torpedo, puts his hand on it, and says, remember. (laughs) So maybe he gave limited (laughs) sentence to uh, a torpedo. (laughs) Yes, Mr. Spock. It works. So we know that he he could have recorded, you know, it would have been nice as if he had recorded a captain's log. Oh, Yeah. Because he was the captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, it's he must have had logs somewhere. That's a great little tangential tidbit. Because you guys remember Tholian Webb, and uh, 
Spock and McCoy, there's that scene where they, they review the video of Kirk's last orders. You know, at this point, if you're watching this, I'm dead. So this is what's going on. You kind of wonder, would Spock have done that in the event of my death? Uh, put me in Torpedo 26. Yeah. <laughs> that was in his will. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, wait, that's the torpedo that's in Spock's room. I always wondered about that. Okay. That torpedo in his closet. Yeah. So maybe that, that we didn't, that's a cut scene. In the event of my demise, make sure Dr. McCoy gets lots of aspirin and lots of rest. And, uh, and, be sure and 26, Torpedo 26. You cannot miss it. <laughs> when I hollowed out. The one I hollowed out. The one with the heat shield I got from Gus Grissom. <laughs> nice. Um, but no, uh, the hatch just blew and stuck in my head. <laughs> it just blew. Well, that, that leads... Yeah. That leads me to something I wanted to mention when I first saw this movie, uh, way back in 1982, uh, and we had this scene, and you were, we were speculating, what did audiences think? I was a little creeped out. You know, Horner's music starts sort of melodic and nice, but then it kind of gets a little dark, and then we have that, you know, the forest looks a little creepy at first, and then when we see the torpedo, I was... I was expecting to see the hatch open and maybe Spock would appear in a Dracula cape or something like that. But uh, So I was kind of edge of my seat, and it's, it's only a, less than a minute, but I thought, are they going to do this? Are they going to have the hatch open and, you know, this gnarly claw is going to come out like those those mechanical banks as kids where you'd put the quarter down and the, the claw would take the quarter. And uh, <laughs> But you know what? You know, if it was today, right? If they were making this movie today, uh, you know, we've seen endings like that, right? The, the, the that last, you know, two second kicker of, uh, yeah, the hatch opens and a shaky hand comes out, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so yeah. um, you know, no, this was this was enough because I think this yeah. was, you know, my note in this for this minute was, you know, hope, and we've and we've definitely talked about hope over the last, you know, few minutes at least. Yeah. Um, that that's what they're trying to do is 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 to give us give the audience uh, some hope that maybe maybe yeah. this isn't the end. Yeah. Um, and that's this is all I well I think like I said they, there's probably too much stuff in here but this is this is enough. I don't need yeah. any more than this. I don't need to see his hand. You're right. It's uh, just the it's just the right amount, and they would have oversold it today. And you know I'm usually a guy who's absolutely 100% behind the director's cut. Like if that's the director's vision, that's the version. I want to see, and that's the version I like. But this little add-on, I kind of—I don't mind it. I like it. I kind, and I do kind of see for the fans, because one thing to to think about is there's no certainty that we're going to get a Star Trek three. You know, Fran. Right. You know, the whole idea of reboots and remakes and sequels—that was a very new concept with franchises. So this could have theoretically been it. So I feel like, yeah, for the fans, this is almost like, you know, can we see where he's buried? Can we leave a flower? It's, it, it is, a, I think, a nice little touch for the fans. Like, see, he's in a nice grove. Look at all the nice ferns. Uh, there may be some mescaline around, too. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and they just leave it, and it's over, and we move on. And, uh, 
but yeah, if this was done now, uh, it would be completely oversold and, you know, there would have been an aura glowing from the torpedo and little angelic sounds and we, we wouldn't have liked it as much. Agreed. So what else we got? Um, well, we've got the, I think Dave, you did a great impression of the audience. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the big reveal, the big reveal, of the torpedo in this minute. Um, and then they kind of, it's, it's really right at the bat, right at the tail end of the minute, but they, they cut away and I, I, I like how they did this, how they, you know, the, the beginning we, we kind of, we zoomed in at the planet, we go through the forest, you know, we, we pass by the torpedo and get our, you know, that great yeah. moment. Uh, and then they kind of, they almost go in reverse, right? Then they start to, that's where the minute ends, where they start yeah. to back away through the forest. Um, yeah. And there's that sun there, Dave. Oh, that sun. <laughs> Um, that sun again that that vague sun mysterious the mysterious sun yeah you know I, I, I would save this for um, you know if you, if you guys I hope you guys go on to do uh, a Star Trek 3 podcast but you know as I've been watching this one thing I wonder is um, you know when that thing goes up it's it's got to have some of Khan's DNA in there. So you know, is is one reason this planet is so unstable is there's just an angry Khan who's like the earthquakes are you know, yeah. like, oh now I got you, Kirk. <laughs> I shot my revenge again. Yeah, yeah. He just you know, he's uh, again maybe we'll save that, but or, or maybe the sun is Khan. Um, well now I'm picturing yeah now I'm picturing like <laughs> the Genesis planet as like Khan's head. <laughs> Totally weirded me out. <laughs> oh man, that's if, all I'm gonna think of now when I search search for spots. Oh, I. You know what I really want to see, and this is, you know, uh, kind of a nod to the old show when you, or Planet of the Apes, where you'd see a, you know, a weird cave that looks like somebody's face. But yeah, there's a there's a natural rock formation, a cave, and it's Maltabon's face or Khan's face. <laughs> Welcome, awesome. you know. Yeah, and it's it's fantasy. Welcome, my dear guests, to Planet Genesis. Somehow my Maltabon turned into Bella Lugosi. Sorry about that, but uh... <laughs> it was uncanny. <laughs> Incredible. Um, but you know, I got one other thing I got to add, and this just exploded in my brain. And yeah. you know, Chris, you kind of set it up with bringing up ET, but yeah, you just mentioned the, you know, when we when we have a point of view, we you know we go through the atmosphere, and suddenly we're on Genesis, and you know, that brings to mind a similar scene in another movie that ILM, I believe they worked on a movie called The Empire Strikes Back. And when Luke's X-Wing, yeah. you know, comes into Dagobah, it's kind of a similar setup. It's point of view. A little bit, yeah. And you just, you know, you see kind of clouds and it's it's fuzzy and then suddenly, oh, hey, trees, boom. So... Again, I'm imagining these guys with this particular sequence were under the gun. They didn't have a lot of time. Paramount was probably leaning on them, and so they they just went with what they did before. Yeah, I, I, I totally get it. Yep, I, I can see that. I'm just, well, I'm scrubbing through and looking for, you know, Yoda. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who, who could have also... I was looking for E.T., now I'm looking for Yoda. Would it go so far that, as, you know, in, in 3, as Savik and David are exploring the planet, that they run into a little Yoda, but it's got Montalban's face. <laughs> or Hervé Villachez. 
Yeah, maybe I just need to go. Maybe I've maybe I've watched this minute a few too many times. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> you, you may have. Just uh, <laughs> just I've uh, twenty times too many, and uh, I'm seeing things that aren't there. No, I mean, I you know, I I gotta say though, I I don't think I would have minded seeing that, <laughs> seeing something that was vaguely Montauban on the planet, and you'd be like, oh my god. It's constant DNA or whatever. Yeah. I, 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 well, well, seriously, if if Paramount or you know actually CBS, if if they were doing remasters the way Lucas did, you know remasters yeah. and new editions, how yeah how cool would it be in one of the you know the wide shots of Genesis if you just have this mountain and of course it's the Paramount Mountain, but on the side of it is this cave that. Uh, you know, is is Malta it looks strangely like Khan's face because it's it. It's been a while since I've seen Search for Spock, but don't they find a cave? To to yeah, there's uh, a cave. There's a, there's a cave scene, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Um, yeah. I mean, heck, we could we could add that scene. The you know the concave. <laughs> the concave. <laughs> the concave. I'll make, make a note of that when we get there. But yeah, we are going to go on to do Search for Spock. We, Excellent. We are planning on doing it, so. Excellent, excellent. So I, I, I'm on a notes for this minute. How about you guys? I, I think I, we've we have barbecued this minute. I think we have really stuck a fork in Genesis. <laughs> so this is this is one we Brett we ask all our guests, and I and I think this is a really appropriate minute to ask. Is like, do you remember the first time you saw Rathacon? And and really, you know, this especially with this reveal in this minute, do you remember? Oh yeah, jumping out of your seat. Um. I remember a lot. Um, it was an interesting time in my life. I had just graduated from high school, and I was feeling uh, pretty excited about things. And so, yeah, I went to see this on opening day, and wow. uh, or no, actually opening weekend. It was definitely opening weekend, and I can't remember exactly what theater it would have been, but it would have been a theater in Marin County, California. Uh, where there probably would have been some ILM guys in the audience, maybe checking it out as well. But um, it's very interesting because, uh, again, we're talking about a different kind of Hollywood, and uh, Spock's death was an open secret. They didn't do a real good job of, you know, nailing it down, so there had been some leaks. So when we were going in, it was an unconfirmed rumor. You know, I hear he dies in this one. No way would they kill Spock. Are you kidding? It's Spock. You don't kill Spock, man. And they killed him. Right. Uh, so I was going in. Uh, and, you know, yeah, they waited until the end. Maybe you guys have read that, you know, they originally had considered maybe killing him earlier in the movie, which would have been a yep. real shocker. Um, right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I... Um, I didn't fully believe it, and again, there was no indication that there would be a sequel. Uh, but I was prepared for them to do something cheesy and and have something happen to the torpedo, which thankfully they didn't do. But um, I gotta say, I was I was not too bummed out about the death of Spock. Uh, I was, I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't like jumping up and down. Woo, he's gone. <laughs> Uh, you know, I didn't. I, I actually, I actually have that in my in my pocket for questions when we get to search for Spock. It's like, how many people were like, 
Oh, really? They brought him back? (laughs) (laughs) I never liked that guy. (laughs) (laughs) I was looking for it. I wanted a job as a science officer. Oh, nuts. Um, But, you know, it was was strangely paradoxical that, you know, while I, I got that Spock was gone, and here's a major figure in pop culture and in science fiction and in my childhood, for crying out loud. But again, I just graduated from high school and I was moving on to college, and I, I kind of saw it symbolically as, well, here's, here's one of my childhood friends who's not going to be following me. And now nah, I wasn't happy to see him go by any means, but I felt like, yeah, well, this is maybe this is a sign of me you know, leave, part of my childhood I'm leaving behind, and uh, I'm going to move forward. And uh, people ask me uh, after the movie how I felt. I say, I feel young. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was my Star Trek experience uh, in 82. And, boy, I was so glad to see. Uh, another thing I'll just kind of go on is, uh, you know, the motion picture, which I saw that in its first week seriously disappointing granted i was 15 and there were about 10 angst-filled years of waiting for the motion picture which was going to be a series which was going to be a motion picture again and uh you know we had such high hopes we were expecting too much from the motion picture and um I just remember my friends and i just with a bucket list of you know how come kirk didn't get into a fight how come there wasn't a beautiful girl in an alien world? How come there was no Gorn? Absolutely no Gorn. Um, so we just—it's uh, a little unfair the motion picture, even though it, it has its flaws. But we just wanted it to be everything, and it wasn't. And uh, you know, we weren't expecting a sequel. Really, we'd kind of heard between the lines and reading Starlog. Ah. Eh, Paramount's not too crazy about it. We're going to p- try to put something together. and um, But, boy, we were just so surprised and so happy, and it was so well-made. And, you know, and thank God for the uniforms. You know, I... Yeah. Yeah. No more jumpsuits? Oh, those awful, soulless jammies. You know, <laughs> when, you're, when you go out into space and you have adventures, you don't want to wear your jammies. <laughs> You want to wear something they call the monster maroon. <laughs> a uniform choice. You want to wear your jammies or the monster maroons? Monster maroons. For sure. Yeah. Put on the monster maroons. So, um, yeah, that's my that's my Star Trek story, and I'm sticking to it. I like it. It's interesting, um, uh, the context of how old you were when you saw um, the motion picture and being you know, disappointed with it because – I, I'm I'm a little younger than you. I think I was eight or nine when I saw it, mm-hmm. and uh, and so for me it was uh, I didn't pick up on a lot of that until I was much older. You know, rewatching it, like oh my god, this thing is boring. I remember as a, being a little kid, like oh cool, another Star Trek. You know, I liked used to watch it on TV with my dad. And yeah, it was just cool seeing it on the big screen. I think probably watched the Muppet movie like the next day or something. Nice, right? That was the same year. Yeah, um, but uh, I'm a little envious. So just uh, I. Yeah, I never really thought about that. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess depending on the age you were when that came out, you you might have been yeah bummed walking out of the theater. So. Yeah, um, uh, I yeah sorry, I kind of yeah that's okay that's okay. I mean, but it is funny that yeah I, I I envy the fact you were eight and you 
you might not have been reading Starlog. And um, yeah, I mean, we had years and years of expectation and changes in plans. And uh, you want to hear a funny little story that I can relate that uh, it's maybe 78, 79. And yeah, I was going to conventions. And it was my first convention with, with Mr. Shatner. And uh, at that point, it had gone from, you know, a series to movie. And I I think they were still trying to get Nimoy, who was, you know, he was working out some legal stuff with Paramount. But he, Shatner was taking questions. And this is funny because I'm like 13, 14. And like some of these questions are are just so dumb. (laughs) And Shatner doesn't know what to say. He's not, it's not really that... That arrogant, conceited Shatner, but people are asking, you know, are there going to be Andorians? Uh, sure, why not? <laughs> are there going to be Are there going to be dreadnoughts? Uh, dreadnoughts. There's going to be a lot of ships. <laughs> yeah. They were just hitting them right and left with, you know, everything they wanted to see, and you know, I I kind of got well, well, yeah, all the minutia, and it's, you know, I kind of got in that moment. Well, gosh, he's just the actor. He's the star of the film, sure, and he's he's Captain Kirk, but you know he doesn't decide if there's going to be a dreadnought or a scout ship or a, a rowboat. You know, he just, what are my pages today? What are we working exactly. on? And uh, yeah, they were just there was so much anticipation uh, over it that um, yeah, it was just it was just kind of hard not to be disappointed by the motion picture. But you know, fortunately, then we got. Uh, a whole slew of other pictures, which I think now that's one reason why uh, you can watch the motion picture and it's a little easier to watch, at least for me, because I have it, I can compare it to other movies. And, you know, there's definitely things I like about the motion picture now. Sure, it has its, yeah, it has its flaws, but uh, number one being the jammies. (laughs) I'll I'll take the, you know, the two and a half hours of nothing but special effects um, if they were wearing better uniforms. (laughs) <laughs> don't ask me why I guess I just love the old velour uniforms from the 60s uh, the cool those cool cool turtlenecks but uh, uh, I'm going to say it one more time jammies Jim jammies <laughs> <laughs> nice alright well great well Brett thank you um, why don't we uh, Dave did you have any, any other thoughts you want to throw in nope I'm get good on your notes. you're good cool alright well why don't we wrap it up um, we're going to come back here on Friday. So Brett, if you'd be able to join us, help us wrap up the week. That'd be yeah, great. absolutely. Let's do this. Awesome. Awesome. Well then, uh, well, actually one more thing, Brett, do you want to share with, uh, with the listeners where they, uh, can find you, uh, out and about on the internet? Sure thing. Cause I, I think I forgot to mention a few things Monday. So yeah, I do a, I do a podcast. I do one of these crazy movie by minute podcasts called five minutes of trouble with my, uh, friend and co-host Josh Horowitz, where we analyze John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, which and there's some interesting connections between Star Trek and Big Trouble in Little China, but you gotta listen to the podcast to find out what they are. Um, and yeah, we're on we're on iTunes and uh, we're on Stitcher and we're definitely on Facebook. We have the Five Minutes of Trouble page and we have a Five Minutes of Trouble truck stop fan page. So if you're a fan of John Carpenter and 80s movies and Kung Fu, well, you definitely got to check us out. Five Minutes of Trouble.com. 
And yep, guys, you can find us online as always. We're at uh, WrathaConMinute.com. We're at Twitter at WOK Minute. And we're on Facebook at the Rathacon Minute Listener Federation. Um, we are going to be back again on Friday with Minute 108 of Star Trek II here at the Rathacon Minute. Jammies. <laughs>